Take your seats. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church and delighted to welcome you. All of you in Cafe Worship this morning and anybody joining us by way of audio or video podcast, we love you and you honor us by finding us and worshiping with us. Uh, Everybody together, open your Bibles to the book of the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon chapter 7 today, verse 10. We're going to finish up the marriage series today, the four seasons of marriage with the very fourth season, which is winter. Uh, because of our culture, because of the way our, our culture tends to lean toward divorce, and because of the way our culture prizes youth more than anything else, we don't often see a lot of couples in winter. So I want you to uh, begin this morning with me by meeting a couple in winter. This is a great couple. Listen to their story right here. My mother and dad would go to parties on Fridays, and I was sitting there watching the old people dance. No, my mother and dad and that. And then a carload of boys came. I noticed him right away. And he sat across from me, quite a ways across. But we just stared at each other. I was 15 and she was 12, which didn't make a whole lot of difference. Because at that age, why, you're just infatuated. And that's what I was. I looked at that brown-eyed girl over there and said, I've got to get to know her. And then at the end, he came over and wanted to know if he could walk me halfway home because he had to ride home with the guys. And so I said, well, only if we walk in front of my mother and dad. So we held hands and walked in front of mom and dad. And I hurried back to catch my ride home. And then the next week, same thing, only that time I walked her all the way home, and I missed my ride home. And so I walked eight miles back to the farm. So that's how it started. Then every Friday night, that was the way it went. My dad said, do you think that girl loves you as much as you love her? Because we lived eight miles apart, and I would walk all the way that eight miles to see her once a week. And so that was a 16-mile hike for me, so I never had to worry about getting overweight. But then one day I got sick, and I was was really sick, sick for several days when my mother opened the stairway door and said, Jim, you've got company. And I couldn't begin to guess who was coming to see me. In she walks. Well, that was Dad's answer. She loved me as much as I loved her. She walked out there all alone, eight miles, to see that boy. I think we were very much in love, don't you? (laughs) I keep track of the amount of times that I tell her that I love her, or she tells me she loves me in one day. It's, It's that way every day. It's automatic. It's in the heart. Oh, absolutely. I don't want her to forget it. Let's face it. It's a God thing is what it really is because without even us holding hands or speaking love to each other, people just seem to look at us and say, you folks must be in love. We do kiss a lot (laughs) and hug a lot. Hold hands even, like now. I do it all over again. You got time? (laughs) We can get remarried if you want. (laughs) 
love them. I love them. And that's what I'm saying. In our culture, we just don't have enough couples like that in our lives. You at Woodburn Baptist Church are blessed. We have a number of couples like that, and, and we're blessed to have you in our lives. But so many people don't live near grandparents or their grandparents are divorced. It's just a very, very different day and age. But I want us to talk about that fourth season of marriage. We'll call it winter. We'll look at Song of Solomon chapter 7 for this. Start with verse 10. This is so good. I am my lover's, and he claims me as his own. Come, my love, let us go out into the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go to the vineyards to see if the grapevines have budded, if the blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. There the mandrakes give off their fragrance, and the finest fruits are at our door, new delights as well as old, which I have saved for you, my lover. Now you're thinking, Brother Tim, that is not a good passage for old people. And some of you are thinking that. But because honestly, you, you must not understand what life is about and what the fourth stage of life is. I've been a pastor for 18 years. And in these 18 years, I've counseled a lot of couples all ages. And I can tell you that couples in the fourth stage of marriage, the winter, the older folks, they have many of the same challenges, many of the same problems as younger couples. They still have issues of communication. They still have issues related to conflict, conflict usually surrounding the kids or conflict surrounding money. And they also have sexual issues. Y'all are buying that, are you? You know, I'm serious, people. Have you never... I mean, I've preached at nursing homes. I'm, I'm telling you, old people have interest in these things, like sex. I mean, I know it's frightening to think about for some of you, but I'm just telling you the, the truth. I was at Fern Terrace one day, and I was preaching. Actually, we were singing Power in the Blood, and, and the wonder-working power came over this lady on the front row, and she made the move on the man next to her. Now, I've seen them before, but never together. But this particular day in church, they decided to take the relationship to the next level. I'm not kidding. And it, it became really alarming because at this one I'm preaching, they're on the very, very front row. And I mean, it is, it is, it is inappropriate. It is really, no kidding. And so they started, and I'm trying to preach, and so I kind of moved over closer to them and preached louder, thinking it would jar them back in to reality. But you couldn't, I mean, it was not stopping at all. I thought, <laughs> I thought that when, <laughs> I thought that when her top dentures ended up in his mouth that it would stop. <laughs> not kidding, not kidding. He came up with her dentures. In his mouth. And I thought, okay, that's going to finish it. But it did not finish it. it did, I mean, it did not finish. I closed in prayer and evacuated. I, 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 I'm telling you the truth. I thought I was going to have to pull the fire alarm on these two people. And, and that's how I met Adrian and Vicato. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just saying... If you don't understand that, that, that some things continue throughout your life, then, then there are some things you need to listen to about this sermon, and, and you need to listen to older couples. It, it, it is this uh, misunderstanding of, of, of the later stages of life that, that give 
many of us in apprehension about it. We don't really know what to expect at all as we age and as we get older, and especially when it comes to our marriages. And so that's exactly what I want us to talk about today. What does it mean to be married to the same man, to the same woman throughout all the seasons of life, especially as you get to that last season? And I think this is a perfect, perfect passage for that. I am my lover's and he claims me as his own. It's the same refrain that's been with us all through the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. I am my lover's, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. It's this incredible celebration of mutuality we've talked about. It's an incredible celebration of of belonging and and possession, ownership, which is beautiful in marriage. But, But also, it's this incredible picture of devotion, When you see an older couple, a couple that's been through everything together, a couple that's made it to that stage where they can begin to celebrate completion and begin to receive the rewards of all of their sacrifices, typically what you begin to see is this this deep devotion between partners. I've been talking about the friendship of marriage, but, but here's the thing, most of us have no real idea how deep a friendship can go. But when you have loved this woman, loved this man for your entire life, the friendship becomes so rich. The friendship becomes so very deep. And often you'll hear people say, you know, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, they're just so devoted to one another. It's it's a devotion. I I am my lovers. His desire is for me, verse 10 says. It's about devotion. And when you want to talk about devotion, then you have to talk about priorities. So so let's just simply say this. When you get married, your spouse becomes your top priority, your first priority until death. Understand? Becomes your first priority until death. Now, priority simply has to be with with what is important and what is most important. And the moment you get married, your spouse becomes your priority. For this reason, the scripture says, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Do you understand? It, It is a relationship that is beyond all other relationships. Other people continue to be in your life, but all of those bonds are loosened so that you're free to love the spouse first. There is priority to the marriage bond, to the marriage relationship. This is true all through your life. Your spouse is your priority. You are to be devoted to him. You are to be ultimately devoted to her. When you get married, your spouse becomes your priority until death. Look what Ephesians 5, I already read this verse here in this series. Ephesians 5.25 says this. I want to come back. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Understand, men, the only, the only thing in all of Scripture that you were said that you should, should be willing to die for is your wife. Understand that? The only thing that, that Scripture ever says you should be willing to lay down your life for, other than Christ himself, is your wife. This is priority. This is devotion. And I would say the same thing goes for the wife as well. Your spouse is your priority. You are to be devoted to nothing else, nothing before her. Notice scripture doesn't say you should be willing to lay down your life for your job, although some of you would. You you would willingly die for your job. You're killing yourself, as a matter of fact, while you neglect your spouse. In, In this stage of your life, you're dying for your job. 
The scripture doesn't even say you should be willing to die for your country, although we value and honor that. The scripture says that the love for your wife should be the closest thing to your devotion to Christ. Willing to die for her. It's your priority. It is your devotion. Book of Malachi, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Help me out, Rod. says this. The Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful, though she was your companion and covenant partner. Notice the priority that God himself places upon your wedding vows. Because in this verse, God reminds you that he was there. He listened to the vows that you made. The Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made. He was there. He attended your wedding. You understand this? And he continues to remember the vows that you made to one another. We're talking about priority. We're talking about what is most important. And the scripture says that God remembers your vows until the day you die. He remembers that she is your companion and covenant partner. And he expects you to keep your promises. It's your priority. You're to be devoted to one another. Uh, Only next to Christ, no higher, no higher devotion. But what exactly does that look like? What does that look like in marriage? I think you can see it most clearly in the fourth season, in that fourth stage of life. And I would simply say this, the older you get, the more you realize that love is in the little things. The older you get, the more you realize that love is in the little things. Now, I think it's very difficult in the early stages of marriage to understand this because we get lost in the big things, in raising kids, in buying the house, in having the car, in working the job, and moving up at work. All of these things are the big things. We think they're very, very important. But have you ever watched an older couple? You ever watched a, a sweet couple in, in, in the fourth stage of marriage in that later season of life? You ever watch those couples and how they get along? It's, it, it's little things. Watch them. You'll see that every morning they wake up and he'll say something like, how did you sleep, darling? And she'll say, I slept wonderful, honey. It's, it, it's little things. He brings her her coffee. She brings him his newspaper. She tells him that he's handsome though everybody knows he's not. He calls her doll. Understand? They touch toes at night before they fall asleep. They kiss good morning and, and, and good night. They hold hands. He, he holds her handbag at the mall. They sit together at restaurants or at church. It's, it's little things. It's the little daily moments and deeds of kindness. And the older you get, the more you realize that love is in the little things. It's the little things. As a matter of fact, the older you get, the more you realize that it's the little things that will, in the end, take up the biggest place in your heart. If you are in one of the earlier stages of marriage, I would go so far as to say this. You know that your marriage is in trouble when the little things are gone, but when there are no little things, the, the little signs of love, anybody can come up with a giant bouquet and a card on Valentine's Day. That's the big stuff. I'm talking about the little things, the, the, the little signs of kindness and, and, and devotion. Love is in the little things, and when you watch those couples in the winter stage, the winter season of marriage, it all comes down to the little things. The little acts of devotion that remind both of them that they love each other, that they're going to be there for each other. 
through everything. And they're going to go through a lot. I love this passage. Like I said, I love it for to think about an older couple. Come, my love, let us go out to the fields, spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early. All old people get up early, you know. Let's get up early and go to the vineyards to see if the grapevines have budded, if the blossoms have opened, if the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. Now, if you sort of break this down, translating more literally from the Hebrew, what this says is, honey, let's get in the car and drive out into the country. That's what she's saying. Let's go for a drive. Let's drive out into the country. I'm sick of winter. Let's go look for signs of spring. Let's go see what's changed. Let's go see if the vineyards are budding. Let's see if the flowers are blooming yet. Let's find us a country road. We'll go out there. We'll park the car and we'll smooch. That's exactly what she says. It's exactly what she says. There, I will give you my love. Let's go, let's go for a long drive. We'll park the car out behind a barn somewhere and we'll just smooch. It's a great day planned there. But, but notice that their plan is to go out and see what's changed. Let's go see if the vineyards are blooming yet. Let's, let's, see, what's, let's see what's changed. Let's see how the seasons are changing. It's it's an interesting kind of picture. You, you know that in marriage, you have to keep up with the changes because the changes never stop. But by the time you get to the fourth season, by the time you get to this later phase of your life, almost everything has changed. Everything changes. But the thing is, towards the end of life, the, the changes tend to come in the form of losses And it can seem like you're losing everything all at once. This is just reality, and it's a hard reality. But late in life, the changes come in the form of losses. Maybe it starts when you move the kids out of the house, and that feeling of loss is very strong then. Maybe that's your first signal that the rest of your life will change. You lose that status that responsibility, that role of being a parent, or at least it's very different. And, and, and maybe that's your first sign. I know that somewhere in that late fall or early winter stage, most couples will begin to bury their own parents. And that loss is very difficult. They say that no matter how old you are, when you lose your parents, you're still an orphan. If you'll notice, and I've noticed in, in my life as a pastor, if you'll notice when somebody buries a parent, they are very likely to have marital trouble or even divorce within the next year or two. Lots of couples divorce after they bury one of their parents. What I want you to understand is that these changes, these losses are very difficult to get through. And it's at these moments of transition, these moments of loss and change, where couples tend to have a harder time clinging to one another. But, but with God's help, we do. You, you bury your parents, you... Begin to lose other things. At some point, you retire. All of our lives, we think we look forward to retirement. But now, retirement is a challenge, especially if you're used to having the role of the breadwinner. If you're used to being the one who provides, all of a sudden, you're not providing in the same way. All of a sudden, you don't feel like the breadwinner anymore. And that can be a challenge. And all of a sudden, you don't necessarily have anywhere to get up and go in the morning. You don't have anything to do. You've lost that routine that gave you security and identity for your entire life. That can be a real challenge and a real test for a marriage. All of a sudden, once you both retired, you were at home all the time together. 
Okay, just so you understand what I'm talking about, how many of you have been snowed in with your family this week? Yeah. How many of you would have driven through fire to get to church this morning just to get out? I mean, it's just sort of suffocating. As much as you love each other, you just get enough of each other. Now, I've been snowed in with Casey most this week. I have not gotten enough of her, but she has had more than enough of me. <laughs> and I can feel it, but I still can't stop it. I just, I just follow her around the house. I want to kiss and hold hands. Whatever she's doing, I want to be up in it. I tell you, I, I just I date. She's had me for breakfast. She's had me for lunch. She's had me for supper. Once I turned around and she was coming out with a steak knife. It, it, it felt that way. It's, actually, I heard an older lady say, you know, I married him for richer, for poor, for better, for worse, but I didn't know what it was going to be like to have him for breakfast, lunch, and supper. <laughs> it, it's hard. It's that loss of physical space. All of the sudden, it's not your life and, and my life and we come together. It's, it's just everything is shared. And, and I've always said that the key to my parents' marriage is my dad's four-wheeler. He can get on it and drive away and, and come back in an hour or two. It's that loss of space that's really difficult for older couples. It's a challenge. It's a, it's a transition to get through. And honestly, some don't get through it very well, but, 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 but most do. But that's not even the end. Like I say, once the changes start to come, it almost seems like you're losing everything at once. All of the sudden, physically, you're changing, you're aging, and that's very difficult. Most of us cannot fathom that we're going to get older. Your whole life, you thought that you were Ellie Mae, and then all of a sudden, you look in the mirror, and you're Granny Clampett. You don't exactly know when that happened. You thought that the two of you were more like, you know, Gilligan and Mary Ann, but now you're more like Mr. and Mrs. Howell, only without the money. It's just so bewildering. You thought you were maybe one of Charlie's angels, but now you're one of the golden girls, and you have no idea when or how that happened. But, but it's loss. It's the loss of youth. It's the loss of beauty, and you're watching it happen with one another, but there's not a thing you can do about it. it, it it's the normal life process, but it's really difficult. Things start changing. You start losing Physical ability, <laughs> Kitten Pal, he'll be in cafe, Kitten Pal. Uh, Kitten Pal asked his doctor one day, he said, Doctor, is it a bad sign if I keep walking around forgetting to zip my pants back up? Is that a bad sign? And Kitten's doctor said, no, Kitten, it's a bad sign when you start forgetting to unzip them. <laughs> That's a bad sign. Yeah, that's a bad sign. You just lose your place. The kids have their own lives. The grandkids have their own lives. And all of a sudden, you're that old person who says, I can't understand the words of the music. I mean, you, know, you, you became that person. You, you were never going to be that person, but, but you just are. And Everything changes. Everything changes, and people change, and the world changes, and it's just too hard to keep up with it, and, and you sort of feel like you lose your place, and you start losing friends, and people you've known all of your life. It, it, it comes down to, it's just like you go to funeral after funeral after funeral, and it's all the people you've known all of your life. I mean, only so many of those funerals, and before long, you start feeling really kind of alone. 
It's like your friends are gone and your neighbors are gone. Understand how hard that would be? Have a lot of mercy on the older folks here at church. It changes, and it changes really, really quickly. You've gone to a church your whole life, and all of a sudden you walk in and think, I don't even know this place anymore. Do you understand how hard that would be? Because this is what it is. And how blessed you are to have one another if you're married. How blessed you are to have one another through all of the changes, to, to, to have that one person who's known you through it all and loves you through it all, that, that one person who can still look at you and tell you that you're handsome or, or that you're beautiful, call you a doll. You, you need that person so desperately. And, and that's what marriage is for, and that's what it's supposed to be about. You, you, you live your life together, and you get to that place where at the end you, you have each other. And if you have each other, it's almost like no matter what else I lose, as long as I have you, I know who I am, and I know where I'll be, and I'll be loved, and I'll be okay. I, I, I just have you. It's, it's the best part about marriage. And that's why these years, uh, with all of the loss and grief that you have to endure, it's why these years are so precious. Because there's such a reward in loving each other for, for so long. There's something really beautiful about that. And to know that and to have that in those last years, it must be the most precious thing in the world. Somebody's been asking me, Brother Tim, how do you know when you're in the winter stage? Because nobody wants to be there. How do you know if you're in the winter stage? Well, here's what I think. I, I, I think probably... You step over into that stage at the point in your life when you stop measuring your life based on how long you've lived, and you start measuring it more in terms of how, how much time you have left. You know what I mean? And I think we all will cross that line. It's no longer uh, 50 years since my birth. It's more like 25 years until my death. You start measuring your life differently. You start counting it down more. I think maybe that's when you cross that line, and as a couple, you cross that line, and you realize that the future is something that you contribute to, but you won't necessarily be here to see it. And, and that must be a very bewildering kind of passage. In the wedding vows, we always say to love, honor, and cherish till death do us part. Sometimes I feel guilty throwing those words into a young couple's wedding ceremony because it, it's kind of gloomy. You know, for all of the flowers and all of the joy of a wedding day, why would you have them say those words till death? Because there's wisdom in knowing that you won't have each other forever. You will not have each other to hold forever. It's just the truest thing I know how to tell you. You don't have each other forever. This is an artifact from Woodburn Baptist Church. It, it hangs on the wall of a very, very special Sunday school class called the Golden Circle class. Who's in the Golden Circle class? Y'all know? Widows. Yes, senior adult ladies, my very favorite group in this whole church. I love these women more than anything. They are family to me. I love these ladies. The Golden Circle class is a widow's class. It's all old ladies. Look at this. 
This is a poster. It's, it's hand-painted very, very well. It was hand-painted when the class was established in the late 1950s. Okay? So look at this with me. The golden circle class. They had colors. Gold and white. I love it. Their motto, united for Christ. I love it. Their verse, Joshua 24, 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that an interesting verse for a widow to choose? As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Their flower is the orange blossom. Not a lot of those in Woodburn, but, but yet. Their aim, building a Christian home, song living for Jesus. Do you get it yet? In 1950s, the Golden Circle class was a couples class. Golden Circle is what? It's a wedding band. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Couples, their aim was building a Christian home. How does a couple's class become a widow's class? Life. It's life and death. I got news for you. Every couple's class in this church is destined to become a widow's class. Adult six first. Adult one, eventually. In the blink of an eye. The blink of an eye. You just don't have each other forever. I know you don't like to think about that, but there's incredible wisdom in thinking about that. Look at what the book of Psalms says. Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to do what? Number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a wise heart. This is true as an individual. It's also very, very true as a married person. Know that your days are numbered. Your days of marriage are numbered. You will not have each other forever. So so stop and think. There's wisdom in that. So where does the wisdom come from? I think in a small way, the wisdom comes from stopping and, and in some ways anticipating What's it going to be like if she goes first or he goes first? What will I miss? What will you miss? My hunch is you would say things like um, touching toes in bed or kissing the, the, the taste of her lips, the smell of her hair, his smell when he comes in from work. Um, eating together, tomato soup and grilled cheeses, you know, um, sitting in church together, the sound of her praying voice, feeling safe with him, having somebody to make me laugh or having somebody to laugh with. Having somebody help me remember. What will you miss when they're gone? 
Because here's where wisdom comes in. All those things you will miss are little things. You will miss the littlest of things. And when they're gone, those little things will leave the largest aching place in your heart. So while you have each other, you treasure these things. You learn to know what is important and what's not important. You treasure one another. You love each other and be happy together. You don't have all the time in the world. So let me ask you. If your marriage is supposed to be next to Christ, your highest priority, is that the way you treat your marriage? Ask yourself, next to Christ, is my wife, is my husband my highest priority? Because it should be. Use your homework. After this service, after your home, ask your wife, honey, next to Christ, do I treat you like my highest priority? And then ask the question, then shut up and listen to what she says. You listen to what she says. And and wife, you do the same thing. Ask your husband, honey, next to Christ, do I treat you like my highest priority? And you be quiet and listen to what he said. Talk about the little things. Talk about how much they mean and, and learn to treasure those things in your marriage. Now, for those of you who are at this particular stage or season of marriage in a very difficult place, I want you to ask God, God, what will it take? What do I need to do to repair this marriage? What do I need to do? What do we need to do together to get the wheels back on this thing to make sure that the end of life we have each other? Ask God, what do we need to do? What are we supposed to do? Seek wisdom from the Lord. And whatever God says, you do that. Whatever sacrifice you have to make, whatever changes you have to choose, whatever it takes, you follow the Lord in in fixing this thing because you're going to need each other more and more as the years go by. Don't lose each other now. The Lord says, I witnessed your wedding vows, I I witnessed your promises. Your wife, your husband is your companion, your covenant partner. You and I may have a hard time holding on to each other, but, but God continues to be the one that keeps holding you two together. Hold on to him so that he can hold you together. Pray with me. Lord God, life is just so short. And in our foolishness and in our selfishness, we seem to think that we have all kinds of time. Time enough to hold a grudge. Time enough to argue about things that don't matter. Time enough, Lord, to make 
little things into big things and big things into little things. Lord, we get it all mixed up. Lord, we act as if we'll have each other for eternity. We act as if the other person doesn't matter. We act as if our marriage is not a priority at all. Lord, teach us the secret of true love and and true devotion. Teach us, Lord, how to live a life that is full of little things, little signs of thoughtfulness and kindness, Lord, to help us to treat important people importantly. Make us willing, Lord, to make any sacrifice that love calls for. Help us to love each other, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And Lord, in that moment, when death parts us, teach us, oh God, that love is stronger than death. Teach us, oh God, that you and you alone are the only one who can satisfy our souls. Teach us, O Lord, that you are the source of love. And then teach us to love. In Jesus' name.